for all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Welcome, all you weirdos, Krakoans, mutants with shop vacuuming or dehumidifying powers, and everyone really glad that Kieran Gillen is back. It is time for episode number 81 of the Weird Dose of X, the mutant member of your Weird Science podcast family. I am your exhausted host, Jason, broadcasting today from a recently flooded basement. And joining me today from a timeline in which the Supersonics never left Seattle is my pal, Ruben. Ruben, uh, how the heck are you today? I don't actually want to become from that timeline. I'm sort of like Omega Sentinel, right? Uh Uh-oh. You were sent (laughs) back by a, 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 a trickster NBA commissioner. Yes. Well, if the Sonics had never left, the Sanders never would have kind of gotten their big momentum um, for fandom in the city. There was always the Sanders, and they always had adequate fans, but I think we picked up a ton of people when the NBA team left, and then the Sanders switched over to MLS like very shortly after. Always always looking on the bright side. That's uh, that's what we love about you Pacific Northwesters. Always always uh, optimistic. So yeah, my my basement got we had we had a lot of rain these past a couple different storms came through. So yeah, we hadn't had flooded basement problems for years and years since we redid, you know, the whole gutter situation, but yeah, I had a lot of time with with the shop vac and the dehumidifier. Luckily, nothing made its way into this room where I do the recording. But that does mean that I have now lots and lots of extra boxes moved into this room because this was the only dry place. So I am I am surrounded by crap, but we will soldier on. So there is no real news this week. Uh, if you're looking for coverage of Hickman's Ultimate Spider-Man number one, you can find that over on the main Marvel podcast where Jim and Matt talked about it. They both liked it. They gave they both gave it nines, which is fantastic. Uh uh, I liked it as well. Uh, Ruben, you said you haven't gotten around to reading it yet. Is that correct? No, I, I definitely will, for sure. But I have been trying to catch up on a few other things. In part, I've been rereading the chronological order of Hawksbox, and that's kind of a long series. Awesome. Yeah, I, you're, I think you're really going to like it. It has a lot, a lot of connected tissue from the earlier Ultimate Invasion miniseries and the Ultimate Universe one-shot. Including, do you remember that list of names we saw at the end of people who died in a certain false flag kind of attack? Yeah, that that does come up again. So it's it it really it'll. I think anyone can pick it up and read it on on its own and still enjoy it and enjoy all the reveals. But I think people who know what Hickman's done to lay the groundwork are going to see a little bit more. But that's not what we're here for today because this is the Weird Dose of X podcast, and we're going to get right into Rise of the Powers of X number one, entitled Data Pages. It's written by our man Kieran Gillen, art by R.B. Silva, colors by David Curiel, letters by Clayton Cowles, designed by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. So now this is more like it, right? Uh, We did not have a great time last week. We had lots of critical things to say about fall of the house of x number one wasn't really what we were hoping for ruben does this is this more what you wanted out of this kind of i think that's a fair statement yes this feels like a big event in the start of a big event and it feels like a conclusion to the hickman era of x-men so um it's very strange (laughs) how this is a companion story because it didn't feel like much of a companion story it felt like the actual story that we were expecting there's one cool link. We do find out, and I didn't get this my first read-through, we do find out why Professor X called Rasputin away from that rescue mission. So there is a real connection there, but yeah, this feels, it is, it is very much a Kieran Gillen book, but it very much picks up the spirit and the pieces left behind by Hickman. Now, I, I don't expect that Hickman gave a whole notebook of here's what I was going to do to Gillen, but it kind of has that spirit to it. It, it feels big. It feels like we're telling the end of the story that started in Powers of X, especially since we have R.B. Silva on art, who was, unless I'm making this up, he was the artist on Powers of X, wasn't he? So that, that also helps bring back that feel. Now, it's not a perfect issue. I'm going to have some critiques, large and small, but much, much more what I'm looking for in a book that's supposed to help bring the whole Krakoan era to a close. We've got the minions. We've got timelines. We've got Moira nonsense. We're inside and outside of time and space. And we're going to get into giant, giant spoilers right away, listeners. So if you're planning on reading this issue at all, do read it before I say the very next sentence that comes out of my mouth. Because the first 28 pages of this 35-page comic kind of don't matter, right? 
because Gillen plays a trick that he's played on us before. He gives us this crazy story, huge sweeping changes to the universe, major characters growing and evolving in new ways, characters sacrificing themselves nobly, dying for their cause, and it pretty quickly becomes apparent that these changes are just so huge and sweeping, there's no way they're going to stick. Now, does anything I just said sound familiar, Ruben? Have, have we heard this tune being played before? <laughs> well, like I said, this is why this feels like the bookend to House and Powers of X. Very similar idea of like, hey, here's this alt timeline and some crazy stuff is happening in it. And then a reset, right? Even more than that, I'm thinking of how Gillen did this in Judgment Day. We saw a shorter version of this, oh, crazy things happening, people dying. Oh, that gets reset. That wasn't a real timeline. And then we had Sins of Sinister, where we had like a dozen issues of this weird, crazy timeline happening, and that all gets reset. So he kind of does it for a third time here. And that's my only real big picture criticism is we've kind of seen this before, and it, it doesn't have that same impact as the first time because right about, I don't know, page five or six or so, we're going, oh, oh yeah, there's this is all going to get undone any time now, and it really does. I don't mind it because I felt like I learned things in this timeline, like what Nimrod and Omega Sentinel were trying to accomplish. And it ties back to some of the stuff that we have been learning about the formation of Enigma and another version of, um, oh gosh, what was this? Dr. Stasis, another Essex clone, right? Like what it was doing in its attempt to ascend and how it was going to accomplish that. And then there's even a little kind of Easter egg talking about how um, Dr. Stasis was involved in the formation of the Children of the Vault, which... You know, I love that. Yeah, we everybody showed up here. Nobody was left out. Every, every page went, oh, that character. Oh, that concept. They're all back, which, again, is what we want in this kind of a, an event. So what's really going on here is that the first 28 pages of this issue are the timeline where Dr. Stasis gets right up to the edge of being a Dominion, but gets blocked by the existence of Enigma, the Essex Dominion and everything gets rolled back. So that's what's really going on here. And we're going to go through some of the highlights of this dead-end timeline anyway, because they are awfully fun. And like you say, Ru, when they do illuminate what some characters are trying to accomplish. Yeah. And we had heard that, you know, Stasis, I think it was at the end of Immortal number 18, where they said, oh, um, Dr. Stasis made an attempt and failed, right? And we hadn't actually seen that timeline. And in my mind, I was like, well, that probably happened prior to fall of the house of x For but now we see yeah. it actually was 10 years after the fall of house of x yeah prior and after are a little confusing in this whole branching timeline but yeah in, in the way timelines branch it does happen after fall of the house of x which again kind of maybe spoils what happens in fall of the house of x i'm i know this is on purpose because they are supposed to be two series that tie together but we'll, we'll see what really happens so we are 10 years into the future Nimrod and Omega Sentinel are kind of the dominant forces on Earth, right? Orcus, to the extent Orcus still exists, it's really being ruled over by the robots. They've been killing off the remnants of the X-Men. They've just killed Emma Frost. Uh, Nimrod even brings up Omega Sentinel's story of the trickster Dominion sending her back to this timeline from her own timeline, the one where the mutants won. It is kind of notable that Nimrod says trickster Dominion, right? When in Hickster, Hickman's version in Inferno, he said trickster titan. And in Hickman's kind of hierarchy of giant wacky concepts, titans are like one level below dominions. Do you think that matters or do you think we're kind of supposed to just don't worry about it? They're the same thing. But because we're in dominion land here, which is all about dominions, uh, they get this, this trickster gets promoted one level. Does it matter? That's an interesting point. I'm guessing that they're simplifying here and that... They just want to use the term Dominion now that they don't want to try to differentiate between those two. But I mean, it makes it you wonder, like, maybe this is like even a second version of the Omega Sentinel. That right? There be could have been a version sent back yeah. by Trickster and then Timeline got all, you know, screwed up and then a Dominion ascended and then the Dominion sent back mm -hmm. this I'm gonna, version. I'm going to keep it in the back of my mind as I keep reading, but I'm pretty sure it's just Gillen saying, yeah, we're talking Dominions. I don't, don't want to bring up the whole hierarchy thing. That's one level too complicated. Yeah. Let's keep it slightly simple. But it to, to nerds like me who remembers, oh, was a Titan, and I've been really <laughs> waiting to hear the Trickster Titan come up again. Trickster Dominion made me go, wait, what? One second. So I think they just simplify because 
you know, the last, I don't know, what, 12 issues of the storyline that we care about, they've been using the term Dominion, right? It'd be really weird to suddenly bring up Titans. Everyone's going to be like, what the heck's a Titan? I, I, I'm 99% sure you're correct. So what is the robot's plan here? Moira, Nimrod, and Omega Sentinel, because Moira's a robot here, they're about to activate a world mind, which they hope and expect will attract the attention of a Dominion will uplift Earth and integrate these AIs into the larger Dominion whole. And and Moira has a cool little line here where she says, oh, this plan will make me finally safe. With Fitchin, fits in really well with her continued desire. You know, she's on her literal last life here. She doesn't want to die. She wants to go on forever. And this is what she thinks will get her there. Very yep. cool. Yeah, I like that. And she also mentions that you know she saw something like this in her sixth life which I thought was a very cool callback to House and Powers where, you know, at the end of time, the, the human humans are living on like a zoo. Yeah. And the, and the AI folks like develop a world mind and that attracts the Dominion and it shows up and it's like the phalanx and they're talking about, you know, merging them into the collective. So this is both a callback to that and also foreshadowing some very sixth life of Moira kind of things that are going to happen later in this issue. So the uh, AI here are posed on two fronts. One they know about, one they don't know about. Uh, they know about the remaining X-Men who are trying to stop them. They don't know that Dr. Stasis wants to hijack this attempt and use it to make himself a Dominion instead. We know that he's an Essex clone, and they, they're all programmed from their creation to find these different ways of getting to Dominion. And again, we got multiple levels of deception because the robots don't know that stasis is trying to get the dominion hood and stasis doesn't know that he's never ever going to get there because he's just a means to the end of the enigma essex getting to dominion so multiple layers of people not knowing what's really going on okay now off to the x-men now this is a this is a crazy team it's the one on the cover uh we we've got and we might as well talk about these characters we may never see them again but you know, Gillen had a good time putting them together, and Silva had a fun time drawing them, so might as well list them out. We've got The Professor. Uh, is this Charles Xavier here? He's, he's in a floating wheelchair. This must be Charles Xavier, right? Yeah, it's Sink, it's Sink who has absorbed Xavier's powers, and or like whatever he does mimicked them. He's, yeah, well, he seems to Along have overused with other powers. his Sink yeah. powers so many times that his body is kind of breaking down, and he needs this Professor X-style chair to get around. Also, you know, the symbolism of being Professor X, the professor running the X-Men. Got to have that. We have Iron Man. This is an AI version of Tony Stark. And Tony Stark has been an AI in his own book. So I'm not quite sure how different this is from that or how <laughs> he got. Did he stop being an AI? Did he get put? I don't know the details, but he's kind of a fleshy guy now. Tangentially know about that. And I kind of laughed. I was like, so isn't that just the current Tony? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is definitely an AI Tony Stark. Uh, in his, quote, final suit, which I guess is the Mysterium one that we've been talking about. Yeah, which doesn't look too different than the current suit. I, I wish that the suit had been designed a little bit um, more dramatically different than the Mark Mill suit. Next, we have Shadow Tiger, who is, I thought maybe on the cover, she was just drawn out of scale, like the proportion got mixed up or the, the art got screwed up. But no, she is actually <laughs> supersized. Uh, she consumed a Death Seed. Are you familiar with the Marvel concept of the Death Seed? This is also known as an Apocalypse Seed. It is a celestial technology that was previously associated with Apocalypse. Basically, the Celestials giving this power to some creature to be kind of an overseer of sections of the universe. In this version, it enhances, well, first it makes her, you know, taller and tougher. It also enhances Kitty's mutant power to allow her to kind of bend space and phase herself and others through it like a like a tesseract, if you've read like A Wrinkle in Time, basically a version of teleportation. It only needs to work once in this book, so it's there. Now we have Captain Krakoa. And, and who is this Captain Krakoa? Oh, yeah. It's, it's not Cyclops. <laughs> Kamala Khan. Yeah, not Cyclops. It's not even Evil Cap. It is Kamala Khan. It's wearing the, the Captain Krakoa armor. <laughs> Great stuff. Maybe my favorite Ms. Marvel issue in a long, long time. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought for just a moment, oh my gosh, are we going to find out Kamala Khan's actual mutant power in this crazy-ass X-book? But uh, alas, we do not. She, we don't get to see her do any kind of mutant stuff. And finally, we get Wolverine, just plain old Logan. 
he's the only one who's not really changed from how we know him and love him. What happens here is they get a location transmitted to them by Emma Mystique and Gambit, who all die in the process of getting this information, very much like Star, War, Star Wars Rogue One, right? And something's going on on Phobos they have to get to. And we don't really find out until the end, but this is where Mr. Sinister is being kept. So that's where the X-Men want to get to. Now, meanwhile, Dr. Stasis has his own plan. He's teamed up secretly with the Children of the Vault. I did not expect to see them in this issue. I mean, they I thought they had their whole, you know, last time we'll see them for a while in their own miniseries during Fall of X, but here they are again. Which makes sense, right? He's the Essex who's supposed to work with post-humans. Isn't that his whole shtick? So naturally he's here. Uh, he's programmed to seek the minionhood, and he's been pulling the strings of Orgus this whole time, even while the AIs thought they were in charge. Uh, Stasis built a supreme intelligence inside that whole temporal acceleration pocket of the vault. This seems to be composed of, I think it's six people here, right? He's kind of jammed these six great minds together, and they get to work for untold however many years trying to find a way to defeat these AIs. Did you recognize these these characters a here? A few of them. So you've got Reed Richards, what Val Richards, Tony Stark. The other ones I don't recognize. Yeah, I have. Oh, uh, let's see. I think Shuri's in there. I think Adam Brashear, who's uh, the Blue Marvel, I think he's in there. And is that Bruce Banner, bottom left? He could mm -hmm. be in there as well. Yeah, that could be him. It's the it's the box guy. <laughs> it's the Canadian. <laughs> box, Roger Box Jr. Yes, Roger Box Jr. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the fandom wiki website doesn't seem to know who that guy is, so he, I'll, maybe I'll edit the wiki and say it's Roger Box Jr. Don't yeah, worry, tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, they don't seem very happy to be there. They all to be kind of screaming in agony, but uh, you know they're smart guys and they've uh, and lady, and they have come up with a plan. Uh, there's some banter here between Stasis and uh, is it Kadena, one of the children of the vault? Is this a new character? doesn't really matter. It's a representative of the Children of the Vault, someone for Stacey to talk to. Yeah. And it's about how AI, you know, AI is great and all, but they can't really come up with anything original, not like humans can, which is a little uh, not very veiled commentary on, you know, what's going on with AI-generated text and visual art, you know, in our world today. A limitation on the technology, for sure. Mm -hmm. And exactly how much people really are different from AIs in that respect is an interesting idea. And I don't know, certainly AI is doing things already in 2023 and 2024 that I did not expect to ever see. So exactly where the limit is, uh, I am not qualified to say, but it, it was a nice little, very quick aside, nothing to derail the story, but that, you know, something to make you stop and think. So the plan here is they've got this device created by these big brains that is going to use the power of the sun to erase the mind of the dominion, which is a crazy idea, but I guess we're saying, hey, so many years of thinking, we've got the super acceleration inside the vault, and that can be so much so powerful to even get past a Dominion. They want to erase the mind of the Dominion and replace it with something else. The children expect that something else to be, you know, them, probably their own collective hive mind. But uh, we know Dr. Stasis, he doesn't, he doesn't like to share. Okay, so long story short, I know I'm getting really caught up in the details here. The X-Men basically all get killed on Phobos. But Death Seed Kitty does manage one final fastball special through, you know, through folded space to get Logan into the cell where Orcus is keeping Mr. Sinister. I'm a little confused here because Logan thinks that killing Sinister is going to trigger a Moira failsafe and reset the universe, just like we saw so many times in Immortal and Sins of Sinister. And as we saw Logan do to Moira herself at the end of her sixth life, he kills Sinister. So I think what's here, what happens here is Diamond Sinister secretly cloned, like added a Moira clone's DNA to his DNA. And he, because the AI folks, you know, didn't know if he did that or not, he lied to them. And well, he told them, I did that. They decided we can't kill him. We just have to imprison him because if he dies, the timeline potentially collapses. So the mutants learned about that because Fei Long knew about that and the AIs had killed Fei Long, but that was the, the prison break scene with um, Gambit and um, Mystique. So they accessed the Fei Long information. Fei Long told them about this and where he was located. And so the second X team broke in to get him, and their goal was to get Logan to him so that he could kill 
Nathaniel Essex and reset this timeline. So when Logan does kill this sinister, I was expecting to turn the page and say timeline reset, but that's it not is re- what happens. It, it is resetting. It is resetting. I don't think this is like instant death, right? This is how I read it is he kills him. This is starting to shut down this timeline. Meanwhile, this other stuff is happening, right? Because he's not exactly instantly dead. And then he, I mean, he's the timeline does shut pretty down. good by Logan. I mean, he's a... Uh, I've heard he's the best he is at what he does, and what he does is, you know, stab people to death. So I'm not sure why it takes so long. What I can no prize it in my head is maybe it's being slowed down by the Dominion, by the Essex Dominion, who both I mean causality is very confused here because we're outside of time and space. The Dominion needs this to happen, but it also kind of already happened because Dominion exists, even though this has to happen in order for it to exist. So I'm thinking maybe the Dominion just slowed things down to allow this timeline to get to fruition. That's that's the story I'm telling in my head. Yeah, I, I think a lot of these scenes are sort of parallel happenings. Like, I don't think it's like this happens and then 10 minutes go by and all this other stuff happens. I think these next few pages are all just sort of like the chaos happening all at once. Okay, and it just would be too confusing to do every page jumping back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, that works too. That's less exciting than my Dominion theory, but probably more likely. Regardless, I mean, the Dominion thing makes either way it works for me, but the point is he had a Moira DNA in him and kill, that was their goal, right? To kill yeah, him. Whether it's Moira DNA or just a fail safe with a Moira somewhere else monitoring his vital signs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, good point. Good point. Some, something that resets is the idea. Okay, so now the Dominion do arrive, the uplift begins, and here's where Dr. Stasis backstabs the children of the vault, who really should have seen this coming. Uh, (laughs) He initiates this device, which does succeed at making the Dominion into a, quote, empty husk, ready for his mind to take its place. But of course, that's not allowed to happen. Another Dominion arrives to consume this one. That is Enigma, the Essex Dominion. And at almost the same time, a little bit too late, Rasputin IV appears out of nowhere, out of no place, actually, but we'll get to that in a second. She stabs Stasis to death, just like Logan stabbed Sinister to death, another echo of an echo of Moira's sixth life. But she's too late. The Essex Dominion has claimed another time. And, and now is when we, I think we see Sinister's Moira engine activate. And, you know, again, this is when the timeline resets. And it kind of resets for two different reasons, right? Both for the Moira engine and cause the Essex dominion is done with his time oh good point i forgot so yeah i i guess i'm gonna take back what i said i don't think nathaniel had the dna in him you're right because you see the the tubes and you see a bunch of more clones in there and yeah and, and maybe there was some lag time between his vital signs flatlining and the moira dying the so there's another it. reason there to be for there to be some kind of delay yeah so now we get the real story of the issue and i think there there was a some discussion online of how in the digital version Originally, the data pages were supposed to start coming in right here. Now, in my version, I think in your version too, Ruben, they're all way, way at the end, even after the coming attractions page. Is that that what you've seen? So I think here is where we're supposed to get one data page, but we'll, we'll talk about that at the end because what I want to say here is we there's where we learn why Professor X called Rasputin away from the Cyclops mission and Fall of the House of X number one, and that's to join this team of his. It's headquartered right now in Moira's no space, which has been moved. Was it already outside of normal time and space, or is this a, this is a change, right? It's enhanced now, yeah. It was basically a location that could not be observed or detected. That was the whole point. So some sometime after Fall of, Fall of the House of X number one and now, to the extent we can't have a before and after we're outside of time and space, but something happened where Professor X managed to move this to this crazy location time thing so this i think it was sometime after inferno oh okay you think you may have may have had this set up ahead of time interesting so this team has five members we have professor x we have rasputin the fourth we have doug ramsey who last we saw was you know being trapped inside Krakoa. so he's something happened to him between then now and two more players to be named later as we say in baseball you don't see them uh they're redacted on the data page but in an interview that Kieran Gillen did with Adventures in Poor Taste published today, he does promise that both these characters and everything redacted on this data page will be revealed next issue. Uh, do you have any speculation who these two other crazy characters might be? Mm, no, not really. I, I, got, I mean, they, it could be 
characters we already know. It could be it, it's got to be something crazy for it to be hidden this way. So, who was the other character who was who was hidden on Krakoa? Who was that besides Cipher? Yeah, there's somebody else who uh, that Destiny Destiny said, "Oh, this guy has to be kept safe," and he got hidden in a little. I don't want to say stasis, but kind of like a stasis kind of box on Krakoa. Who was that? Oh, interesting. I, I don't recall that, but I'm sure that happened. So maybe maybe that'll be this character. Not sure. So, and we also learn that, yeah, Rasputin was sent into that timeline we just saw to try to prevent what happened. And as we saw, she was too late. Apparently, though, they did succeed in stopping Stasis's Dominion timeline nine times, but failed this one time. And I guess once you fail once, you know, the way timelines and Dominions work, it's all over. You, you, you can't prevent it anymore. Uh, so now it's time for what they're calling their contingency plan. And this, uh, I'm not entirely sure it makes sense. But again, we're outside of time and space, dominions, no places, white hot rooms, anything can happen. The plan here is that uh, it's very, uh, you know, Avengers movie, Avengers Endgame kind of movie situation too. They need to go back in time and kill Moira before her mutant gift ever activates. Professor X says if they do this, everything, the Essex Dominion, Krakoa, all of it, just never happens. Again, causality is confusing here. Timey-wimey doesn't begin to explain it. So do you think this makes sense? Do you think that you can defeat a Dominion through time travel? Is this time travel or is something else going on? I, I view it as maybe more than time travel, separate from time travel, because uh, it's hard to explain, but I'm, I'm willing to wave my hands and say, yes, this is fine. This works. Because it would like collapse the entire Krakoa era, right? Right, and and not everything just for the X gone. books either, because everything else in the Marvel universe has been happening now too. So, are we going to reset reset the entire six one six back to the way it was in two thousand nineteen? <laughs> that'd be funny as hell. Yeah, that'd be interesting. But they didn't do, they didn't do that with um, Sins of Sinister, right? That was a big reset too. So, I I think it. My guess is they would basically reset it to pre-Moira. Everything in the X universe would change. Everything else would continue as if nothing had ever happened. I, I'm and curious they would to just... see how they'd explain that. Because Sins of Sinister, that was that was the whole Marvel universe, but it got reset back to right when it started. Right, so we didn't we didn't see anything else happening in the other Marvel books between you know in that in that branching off timeline. We saw other things happen to those characters. But only in the Sinister Sinister books. Like Amazing Spider-Man doesn't have an issue set in the Sinister Sinister timeline. It does have lots of issues set in the Krakoa timeline. So I I I mostly trust Kieran Gillen. I hope he comes up with something satisfying. We have you know five more issues of this book, so he has lots of room to play with. And I I hope he hope he comes up with something good. Yeah, I mean, there's different ways you could take this, right? It it's gonna work, and that would be wild. And then I need some explanations for why it works. Um, it's a desperate man trying the most desperate thing he can think of. I'm okay with that too, right? Like maybe he doesn't know how to solve this, and this is just a he thinks it's going to work, but it doesn't. Yeah, it's okay true. That I mean, Charles Xavier's plan not working would not be the first time that happened. Yeah, and also him thinking he's the smartest guy in the room, and that like, of course, his brilliant idea is going to work wouldn't shock me there either, right? He's, it could seems go to, an entirely different way. It could it could be that this is almost like a red herring that this is how we think it's all going to be undone but you know we have the white hot room out there we have all sorts of phoenix shenanigans potentially on the table lots of ways we could get where we need to be for the whole x line to go on to its next status quo i mean you could have a situation where all this stuff gets screwed up and it does impact the x universe significantly but the enigma engine <laughs> persists <laughs> I, I did see some interesting conversations online people saying well what's wrong with the enigma engine existing right dominion you mean yeah as a dominion yeah i have that in my notes too because we know there are s some untold number of dominions out there right it's not just this one yeah well and you can see this in this issue right there's the sort of space people one and then the the enigma version one, yeah shows up so yeah. maybe it's perfectly fine for the maybe maybe dominions are so far above us that they mostly don't even pay attention to us you know people to ants kind of a metaphor where the Essex Dominion is paying attention to Earth right now because he has to ensure that he happens. Whereas once that's all taken care of, he maybe he goes off, you know, doing throughout the universe whatever it is Dominions do to have a good time. And maybe it's not that big a deal. He's just kind of out there. And right? Now, yeah. Could be not that I mean any Dominion could 
kill everyone on Earth at any moment, but they're just not interested. So maybe that can happen with the Essex Dominion as well. I'm not quite sure why we have to stop the Dominion from happening is Professor X's whole deal. Parallel is very interesting, right? Because it's the same thing, right? I've got ants in the yard and I don't like ants, but am I going to waste my time like killing them? Surely I could, but it just doesn't matter to me. Until they come to the house, I mostly don't even think about their existence. And you can see why it's interacting now because they're trying to mess with it, right? They are. They're, yeah, the, the, the ants are coming into the house. They're, they're trying to cause trouble or, or the Essex Dominion for Enigma. Okay, so now we have one final data page kind of listing out the various timelines. And uh, I know Neil's on the, uh, the Substack, or not the Substack, the, what do you call it, the Slack asked about this. So this is worth talking about. I, I do love the title. Its title is The Battlefield of the Rise of the Powers of X, with a subtitle, The Timeline, maybe not the line, Time Web, as created by the actions and misuse of Moira McTaggart's mutant gift. So right there in the title, it's like, yeah, people have been, have been doing some shenanigans with her and messing everything up. So off, like a little stub on the left, barely noticeable, these are Moira Lives 1 through 9, the ones we saw in Powers of X. Everything else branches off of Life 10, mostly after the Moira engine is created. I don't like this representation because linearly from Moira's life, right, she lives 1 through 9. 10 is a continuation of 1 through 9. And the way this diagram shows it, it kind of looks like they're, you know, either or options. I mean, you could almost see 1 through 9 should be, there should be 10 different lines coming out of the point labeled A, right? That's the way I would have done it. And you'd think that each one would connect to the next one, right? It'd be kind of like over and up, over and up. Well, I, I mean, they're all, they all reset back to point A, I would think. Anyways, they, they, they jump up and then jump down, right? Maybe that's the way you do this, it. This diagram just isn't interested in one through nine. It remembers they exist and just wants to remind <laughs> us they exist. But this is all about life 10 and the shenanigans that happened there. So we have, uh, going l- left to right, we have the stasis timeline, which is... Uh, labeled D, and that's 10 years in the future. That, that's what we just read, right? Uh, I guess there were like nine other versions of that branch too. We don't get to see those. We only get to see this one. Next, we have the thousand-year-long sinister timeline. We read all about that and the dozen or so sinister-sinister issues. That's the one that ended with sinister almost making it to Dominionhood and getting slapped down. Next is the Orbis Stellaris timeline, only 15 years, and I don't think we know anything at all about this one, do we? Do you think we're going to get to see that in Rise of the Powers of X? Or are we already assuming by this diagram, yeah, that whatever had to happen there already happened and the Enigma Dominion claimed that timeline? I feel like we'll see it. And the reason I think we'll see, I didn't think we were going to see it. I thought both the Stasis Ascension attempt and the Orbis Ascension attempts were just going to be ignored. But now we've done three out of four, it would feel really weird to like not do four out of four. Out of the four Sinisters, Orbis Stellaris has gotten by far the least attention, right? He's, he's been kind of off in space inside that wacky sphere thing, and he hasn't really mattered nearly as much. Hasn't had, I don't know if you count up how many pages they've all been on, how many lines of dialogue they've all gotten. He's way, way, way at the bottom of the list. So maybe just nobody cares about him. <clears throat> Next, we have the Mother Righteous timeline. Uh, which is an odd one because that exists outside of time and space, inside the white hot room, and we've been seeing that happen in you know half of every issue of Immortal X Men for a while, and we saw where that ended up in the final issue where she got all the way right on the doorstep of Dominionhood and she got slapped out. Now there is one more branch. This is one that comes off the main tenth life before the Moira engine. This is Omega Sentinel's original timeline. The one where the mutants won and then the trickster Titan slash Dominion, for whatever reason, sent her back in time to make trouble for the mutants. What do we think this trickster Dominion is? Is this I I saw someone, I think it was uh oh the Oh, the uh, comic book herald guy on YouTube. He was he was talking as if it was just obvious that this trickster dominion is the Essex dominion, which I did not get that idea at all. What what do you think of the relationship between these dominions? Is it Enigma? Is that the question? Yes. Is yeah. this a different dominion or is this the same dominion? I've seen it everywhere that it is, um, but so I guess I'm just going to go with it because everyone seems to think it is, but I, I don't see why there's in-text evidence to that effect. But I have definitely seen a lot of people online claiming that it's very clearly the Enigma's actions and sending back Omega Sentinel. 
I also don't understand why they call it the trickster dominion. <laughs> I'm just like, what makes it a trickster? <laughs> yeah, who named it? Who gets to name this dominion? We know, I mean, Hickman named it, but even um, I guess it that's what introduced itself to Omega Sentinel because that's what she calls it. That's what Nimrod calls it based on what he heard from Omega Sentinel. Yeah, this could be. I mean, maybe the whole. So it's purpose, a self-identified trickster. I, I suppose so. I mean, for all we know, we're going to see the creation of that dominion in Rise of the Powers of X, and maybe that's going to be something that happens here. I, something has to be explained about what the heck's going on there, I think, because it's just, it's too obvious a a dangling plot point. It's We've got to find out some more about that. So those are the timelines. We do have three outside of time and space places slash entities to deal with. We've got the No Place X, where our, our Charles Xavier team is. We've got the White Hot Room, where I, I expect some sort of Phoenix nonsense is going to happen in this book or the other book. And we've got Enigma himself. They should have drawn another one here. They should have shown the, the Phalanx Dominion, and then they could just exit out or something. Right, because it, it is the Phalanx Dominion that got it, its head ho- hollowed out in this timeline, right? But again, that timeline got eaten and reset. So causality of, of Dominions, if it's, if it's eaten in one timeline, is it eaten in all the timelines? Again, I don't understand, and you can't understand Dominion stuff. It's just separate from causality. I don't understand the um, the scissors on this diagram where it's cutting Omega Sentinel, like the line of Omega Sentinel's ascension. Yeah, I, I don't understand. I mean, do these timelines still exist in the in the way that alternate universes exist? Like, could there be some sort of a device that goes back and sees what happens to her original timeline after she's sent back? Because that's the time. I mean, everything should be you know, happy and shiny there with the mutants in charge. So I don't think I don't know that that one stopped existing. Again, depending on was it the Essex Dominion, was it Enigma? He could have cut that timeline short if he wanted to. So all sorts of crazy stuff here. Uh, I think we we got to find out more about this no place. These people in the no place. I hope we find out more about the Orbis Dolores timeline. And I really want to know what is up with that trickster dominion and anyway, is, is xavier's plan even viable this is kind of what i really enjoy about the best of the stories in the krakoan era right where at the end of an issue my mind is spinning going you know what's going to happen with this what's going to happen with that did these things actually make sense well maybe kind of depending on how you look at it where there's just so much going on here so many big swings big ideas Again, not to be too cruel, but exactly the opposite of my feeling at the end of Fall of the House of X number one, which kind of landed with a thud. This this is what I'm looking for here. So there's a lot of ways this could go wrong, but but Kieran Gillen has had a way of of making me happy at the end of a story. So I am I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. Uh the art is is great as always. RB Silva looking fantastic. Uh even the 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 way the the borders look and the timey-wimey bits where it kind of all goes hexagonal, kind of reminiscent of the way the data pages look. This whole story is called Data Pages, which you know, was a funny little callback to all these pages we've been talking about for the entire era, which is fun. Uh, again, my only big complaint is the whole wacky stuff happens and the timeline gets reset. Kind of seen before, kind of a little bit tired, but even with that... I got to give this issue a, a really big 9 out of 10. Kieran Gillen did what I wanted him to do, and I'm really looking forward to the rest of the series. Yeah, nice. I think I'll join you. I, I'm hovering between 8, 5, and 9, but I want to be optimistic about this. When I read this, I was – this is one of those issues you just have to experience, right? When I read it, I was like, holy crap, as soon as I closed it. And I was glowing and thinking exactly what you're saying, right? Like I was like, I got to get online, look for people to talk about this issue with. Okay, yeah, so great issue. And now we're going to go on to something not nearly as big, but but still pretty good. And our second and final book of the week is Wolverine number 41, The Sabretooth War, part one. And I'll note that the cover here, which is a half and half portrait of Logan and Sabretooth, bears a prominent parental advisory, not for kids warning. <laughs> And promises that this will be, quote, the most violent Wolverine story ever told. Now, I haven't read every Wolverine story ever told, so I'm not <laughs> entirely sure, but it's not for lack of trying. So this is written by Victor Laval and Benjamin Percy, although I get a whole lot more of Benjamin Percy on the page, I think, than Victor Laval. Uh, the art is by, it's a little complicated, 
Jeff Shaw does pages 1 through 11. Corey Smith, inked by Oren Jr., does pages 12 through 22. And uh, I think the break is when the setting turns to Krakoa farther north and we hook up with that. So I think that's when the change is. And I, I'm going to speculate that the reason for the multiple artists is just because this book is double shipping and probably one art team would, they expect would have trouble keeping up. So you might as well just start with two at the same time because there's no real obvious change to the art. I mean, I can, now that I know there's two art teams, I can see where the change happens, but it's not like, Oh, what happens in this world? What happens in that world? I think it's just for for not falling behind. I definitely didn't notice. I didn't realize there were more than one. Yeah, if you, if you check the credits, it does. They they do lay it all out there. Uh, the colors for all the pages are done by Alex and Claire, and the letters, likewise, for everything, are by Corey Pettit. Uh, there's no designers listed for this issue, and also. No data pages, not a one, which I think may be the first time that has happened in the Krakoan era of, you know, of the current era books, not the flashbacks and, and all those things. Can you think of any other issues we've covered that have had zero mm-hmm. data pages? Mm-hmm. That's a requirement. Which is pretty funny, too, since the last book that we just covered, uh, you know, the first chapter of Rise of Powers of X, was named Data Pages. Weird <laughs> little ir- irony there. It's a reprimand. I guess so. <laughs> They're sending coded messages that are issues. So there's also an editor's note on the title and creds page informing us that, quote, this story takes place after X-Force number 50, which comes out two months from now, and prior to Fall of the House of X and Rise of the Powers of X, which came out last week and this week, respectively. It doesn't say when this is relative to, say, X-Men number 29, which was that whole Mutants of Latveria issue. I've seen some speculation. I think it makes sense that all of the Sabretooth War is going to take place before that Latveria story. Based on the clothes, the suits that Wolverine is wearing, he wears the brown and tan look in X-Force and at the start of this issue, but he wears the yellow and blue in X-Men 29 and in Fall of the House of X number one. So the idea is maybe he changes outfits sometime during the Sabretooth War story. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so, and, not uh, thinking about it too hard. Probably. Uh, Ruben, did you happen to reread Sabretooth and the Exiles this week in preparation? <laughs> um, I'm going to take Why that as a no. Why questions that you know I'm the answers take that as to? No. So, <laughs> I, I know there's a lot of prelude before diving into this book, but I, I think it's important. So here's what readers and, and you, Ruben, kind of need to remember. Okay. So, Sabretooth and Mystique's son, Graydon Creed, he had aligned himself and was working with Orcus, calling himself the, quote, general contractor. Graydon's goal was to kill all versions of his father everywhere in the multiverse, like a super-duper Oedipus complex. Uh, I don't want to know what he did with all the versions of his mother, Mystique. Not interested. Uh, he succeeded in killing or capturing, I don't know about all, but a whole lot of different saber-tooths. The ones that he killed, he put these stubby little robot heads on so he could control them, and you see these ones in the background of uh, a lot of s- certain uh, panels on this issue. And a handful of the alternate Sabretooths are still alive. For instance, we've got a, a Lady Sabretooth, a Captain America Sabretooth, and a Doc Samson ponytail-looking Sabretooth, all from different Earths. Graydon himself got shoved through a portal to some unknown Earth, so he seems to be off the board for now until some future writer wants to bring him back. Sabretooth and his band of Saberteeth took off in an Orcus spaceship and left the rest of the exiles behind. So I don't expect them necessarily to show up in this book either. So I think we've only really just taken Sabretooth himself and his multiversal pals from those miniseries into this. At the very end of Sabretooth and the Exiles number five, the final panel, Sabretooth kind of looks right at the camera and says, an old friend has a birthday coming up. Last I heard, he was on Krakoa. Some of that sounds familiar? Mm-hmm. A little bit? Okay. So that came out in March, almost a year ago, and we we're still in Destiny of X, well before all the, the gala nonsense. <clears throat> okay. So now we're time to actually talk about this issue of the book, finally. So when we open up in Wolverine number 41 here, it seems that the Saber Teeth have spent their time training, preparing, and strategizing. The writers here play a little trick with us because we're supposed to think that our Wolverine from the 616 is stalking our saber tooth. But it turns out this is just a training exercise. 
and the stalking Wolverine is a shape-changing camouflage version of Sabretooth from Earth. This is a brand new Earth number, 33441. And this is the first time we meet the Sabretooth, the first time we get a mention of that Earth. So I guess he was recruited between the end of the Exiles series and this one, because he did not appear in that miniseries at all. But they want to make use of that that camouflage technique here, so they bring him on board. Uh, we don't meet any other new Sabretooths this issue, but I guess I can't. We can't say there aren't any because this new one popped up out of nowhere. The the saber teeth head off to Krakoa because you know they've been busy. They haven't heard about the whole Orcus Fall of X thing, and we head off to Krakoa farther north because well, that's where this nesting happens. Uh, well, it's interesting that we kind of learn that Krakoa farther north is still going to be around to the end of X Force Fifty at least because of you know the whole editorial note. So it's not going to get destroyed in the next couple issues of X Force. What we see here are Kid Omega and Black Tom sharing some banter about the horror movie The Wicker Man, and also, I think, a reference to Duran Duran lyrics. Is that what the Dancing Across the Sands bit is? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. If, I, I, don't, I, think, I, I think Black Tom probably gets it about as much as I do. It's, it's Quentin being Quentin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tom tells Quentin that he senses the presence of mutants on Krakoa. Uh, Quentin doesn't wait for backup naturally because he's the Omega, and he flies off on a glowing pink motorcycle because his powers all involve glowing pink things. He goes to rescue these mutants. And when we turn the page, it's almost like a time... I think we jump back in time a little bit because as we turn the page, the Sabretooths, who are the mutants that are being sent on Krakoa, I'm pretty sure, they haven't actually gotten to Krakoa just yet. Uh, they decide to use cloaking technology on their ship to sneak in past the, I don't know, dozen or more Stark Sentinels still circling the island, and they put on personal cloaking devices, all stolen from Orcus, hand wave, that's fine, all personal cloaking devices to hide themselves from anyone on the island. Although, to Sabretooth's chagrin, the place seems to be empty. So we are a little bit in the future, I mean, past or the future, kind of both, depending on your perspective, but I do wonder where Professor Xavier is. Do we think this is maybe while he's still off on Muir Island with the Sinister in his head? I mean, that's didn't make sense. Or the beaches on the other side of the island, and if they walked over there, they'd or find Or has him. he already gone off to that no place? I don't know. And hey, we didn't actually mention during the rise of the powers of X number one, do we think that Professor X has Sinister in his head? I don't know. Didn't really come up. Hmm. One more thing to look forward I to. Would, I would think Yes. I don't see why not. I mean, again, we, we maybe we'll see something else in between now and then. Okay, so Quentin arrives. He beats up some Stark Sentinels pretty easily, and he seems to see Logan waving to him from the beach. Not actually Logan, of course. It's Camo Sabretooth pretending to be Logan. Quentin gets caught, stabbed through the throat, a lot of that this week, and then he's kind of ripped to death by the Sabretooth. Yeah, this is a, a gross scene here. Those warnings on the cover, we're not kidding. I think it's notable that the saber teeth only tear Quentin apart from the neck down. Might be important later. Uh, it did seem maybe a touch unlikely that Quentin would be so easily fooled, but I think I'm okay with that for, for two reasons. First, Quentin is, he's not a dummy exactly, but he is impulsive. He wants to show off. He thinks he's the best ever, despite the fact that he's died a thousand times. So having him run into danger without really checking, I think fits his his uh, character. And also, back on page four of this issue, during the whole training montage scene, Sabretooth remarks on just how great a mimic Camo Sabretooth is, saying that he even, quote, got the scent right, and, quote, I bet your thoughts even sound like his. Which is a weird thing for a character with no psychic powers to say, kind of awkward and clumsy, but, you know, that does set up that his mind would even look like Logan's when he does his camouflage thing. Did you, did you buy that, uh, that little ex explanation of why Quentin is dead already again. It, it was fine. He was surprised. Whatever. <laughs> it, it didn't irritate me that much. But I agree. It's kind of weird to talk about the way your mind would look to a psychic. A little. It felt like it. What like that line of dialogue was added maybe towards the end when somebody pointed out, "Hey, why was he so easy to fool?" We'll just put it in. So Quentin is once again deceased, seemingly without any access to res. Resurrection by the Five, maybe he's not entirely dead. We'll get to that in a, in a scene or two. Back to the North Pole. Uh, this is where the art changes and Corey Smith takes over. Akihiro, who is Logan's son, standing guard, along with some lobster claw type mutant. Any idea who that guy is? No, not at all. 
<laughs> that was a weird one. Yeah, I didn't recognize him. He, he just seemed to be there. Well, they need some more raw material for later is what it comes down to. Uh, Logan comes up to have a chat with his son and you know, have a fatherly moment. In retrospect, I think this is what's known in the business as a death flag, uh, because Akihiro is not going to make it to the end of this issue. It's like the uh, the war movie where you, you see a guy talk about his gal back home and how, they, oh, we're going to get married as, you know, I'm being sent home next month. And yeah, that's uh, that's going to be the end of him. So somewhere nearby, the saber teeth have landed and they pull out an old fashioned looking like a lantern. Uh, it's not the one that saved Alan Scott on that train over the DC universe. This one has electronic looking buttons on it that make it, uh, they make zeep and bing sounds. That's what it says on the panel. And it shoots a bright pink beam towards the greenhouse, seemingly immobilizing Black Tom and Sage. So we've got to assume this is Quentin's head inside the lantern, right? And I guess these two are immobilized because they're the most directly tied into the whole Krakoan technology, the building you know, actively monitoring things coming from the outside. Uh, and back at the greenhouse, Logan goes inside and has a fatherlyish chat with Laura, the young version, which, uh, again, given what happened to Akihiro, this doesn't give me really good feelings about, like, her extended warranty either. Uh, she may not make it to the end of the series. And we know there's two Lauras out there. If we're going to kill one off, we'd think we'd kill off the old one and keep the one that was more like who we were used to seeing. But I don't know, this... Do you, do you think uh, Laura's in for uh, some trouble going forward in the next couple issues? Yeah, and that would be a big surprise if they decided that the older version's the one to keep around. Although I guess if they reset the whole timeline, interesting, yeah. that would solve it. I guess it doesn't it, matter. That is true. Keep. That solves a lot of problems. And also, uh, Laura is about to give her a, a wrapped present, again, reminding us of whose special day it is. Because this is Logan's birthday. It's just, just past midnight. It's now his birthday. And like Sabretooth reminded us at the end of Sabretooth and the Exiles, historically, he's liked to cause problems for Logan on Logan's birthday. For some reason, writers just love that trope. Don't know exactly why, but it is very much a pre-existing thing. Back outside, Akihiro's having a chat with Lobster Boy, uh, but Lobster Boy doesn't actually answer, and he has a pretty good excuse in that he's in the process of being ripped in half by Sabretooth. And I don't even see any drawn butter. So Sabretooth then faces off against Akihiro in a, a pretty lo nifty-looking compact fight scene. Only lasts about half a page, and the panels are all kind of slashed in weird angles. It's very fitting for all the claws involved in this kind of fight. What did, what did you think of this this quick little battle here? It uh, shows how formidable Sabretooth is. I, I like the way it's portrayed. It looks very brutal, but um, I kind of expected Akihiro to put up a bit more of a fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He does. I mean, there are multiple saber tooths there. Uh, it doesn't seem like any of the others participate in the fight. They kind of just stand behind Akihiro and prevent him from being able to run away. I guess. And yeah, just just but the way they, kinda, they distract dragons. you, right? They distract you. I can see that. They, they distract me. To jump in. And this is a very disgusting page. I mean that in mostly a good way. I mean, we see this one lobster character just torn in half. There's blood at blood and guts everywhere. It's you can you can tell that I don't know exactly what Ben Percy and or Victor Val wrote on the instructions or the pages given to the artist, but it must have been make this really gross. Seems to be what had to have been there. So uh, we don't see the outcome of this fight exactly, but yeah, it's it's not going to be good for Akihiro. So we turn to the last page, and we see Logan heading back out to visit his son again, where he finds the very pleasant words "Happy Birthday" in the snow spelled out using the body parts of Akihiro and Lobster Boy. Pretty horrific. And again, I think this is why the writers put the lobster guy mutant out there, even though he gets <laughs> no dialogue. <laughs> right. Like, like, realistically, could you spell out happy birthday with the guts of just one person? I, I don't think readers are going to buy that. I think we need to have some more more limbs available to make to make the, uh, the R, for instance. So it is, I mean... A, a very sick idea, very twisted idea. Again, very much living up to that that feeling of that cover saying this is the most violent Wolverine story ever told, and we're only one issue in, but uh, it, it could end up being true. Yeah. Really nasty, almost uh, Shakespearean. I forget which of the Shakespeare plays involved someone's children being like fed to them at dinner, but it has that very you know disgusting, wrong, taboo breaking. 
really personal way of getting at somebody kind of a feeling. So uh, that's the end of the story as Logan falls to his knees in horror. And in the background, on the other side of the happy birthday letters, we see all those lurking saber-tooths. So uh, what, did you, what did you think of this issue, Ruben? You want to give me your quick reaction first? It creates some quick stakes. I mean, you kind of build up Logan a little bit and show him, you know, having touching moments with Akihiro and to, to some extent Quentin Choir. And then you see this this council of saber-tooths showing up and decimating those folks. And they seem pretty ruthless. It's very easy to like say, like, I don't like this Sabretooth council, right? Like, I want to see them go down hard. Oh, yeah. So those two things were very effective. I mean, I'm usually not a huge fan of the gore, but uh, it felt appropriate for what was going on in this issue. And um, for something I, I wasn't interested in, you know, seeing with all the other stuff going on, it's actually, or at least I thought I wasn't interested in seeing, I actually am kind of intrigued to see where this goes. So I thought it was effective. I, I, I'm going to give it an eight, um, unexpected eight too. I, I was pleasantly surprised by the issue. I'm going to use a line that I think I've used before or similar about Ben Percy's Wolverine. This isn't the kind of comic book story that I particularly like, but it is a, a good version of what it's trying to be, right? It's trying to be the most violent Wolverine story ever told, and it's doing well at that. Just like we said in the whole Last Mutant Standing arc, it was a pretty decent action movie most of the time. Even though we weren't so into the action movie thing, it was good at what it was trying to be. Uh, and this here in the first issue of Sabretooth War, it's a pretty decent, like a horror slasher movie. Nothing very deep, uh, very, very different from the last issue we just talked about, right? Worlds apart from Rise of the Powers of X, number one. Uh, this is just Sabretooth once again wanted to cause Logan pain on his birthday. No connection to any big ideas, no Orcus, no Dominions, no resetting of the whole anything. This is, this could, this story, it has to take place now just because of the setting. That's why Logan is here, but you could easily, with just a very couple of quick change of the script, have put this story anytime Logan has ever existed, right? Uh, the stakes do seem high, right? Quentin Choir is dead, although his head may still be alive in that lantern. Akihiro, very dead. Uh, Lobster Boy, whoever he was, he doesn't really matter very much because we don't even know his name, but he's dead too. Uh, we're worried about Laura. I am a little concerned about this being billed as a 10-part story running all the way through May. Yeah, I, I think I'd message you about that. I don't know how this becomes <laughs> 10 issues, but this is, this is like the beginning of a good four-issue arc in my mind, but maybe this goes somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, I hope that Percy and Laval have some twists cooked up because this slasher gimmick is not going to be enough to sustain 10 whole issues. And again, this really feels, I don't see a lot of Victor Laval influence on the writing here, right? There's no trying to tie in historical injustices. There's no subtext. There's no data pages. Uh, so I wonder if it's going to be almost like an alternating issue kind of format where maybe issue number two is going to have a lot more Victor Laval in it. Mm -hmm. uh, we won't find out for another couple of weeks, but perhaps. Uh, the data page thing, I didn't really miss them. I don't think there was any reason they had to be in this issue. So there have been some issues we've talked about in the past where like, why did they even put a data page in here? Oh, it must have been editorial saying you got to have at least two of them in every issue. So I'm glad no one forced them into this story. Uh, if I'm going to complain a little bit, I am a little annoyed at the whole structure of what the X office is doing right now. Uh, this isn't specific to this issue, but we have Fall of the House of X, Rise of the Powers of X, telling two sides of the same story. But then we also have these other books that are all kind of taking place before Fall of the House of X number one, right? Wolverine, X-Force, X-Men. As far as we know, those are all set in the quote-unquote past relative to Fall of the House of X number one. Yeah. Probably also Cable and Resurrection of Magneto, although that is yet to be seen for sure. I kind of just find that whole idea inelegant, right? When When is the X story happening now? Like either tell these in-between stories or jump forward and tell the new story. But having some books here and some books there, it makes those other books like this one kind of feel outdated even before they come out, right? My, my brain's already ahead in Fall of the House of X and even more in Rise of the Powers of X. It almost feels like, oh, I'm reading old historical issues that I just skipped when they first came out. Even They, they don't feel new at all. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, the art, very well suited to the story, uh, you know, for better and for worse. 
the early art by Shaw, maybe a little more on the cartoony end. The Smith and Junior art later a little darker and with more lines. Some of that is just going to be the setting, right? Now we're here in Antarctica, so it's going to look different. But there is like some more detail in the penciling and inking. The, the styles go together just fine, and I probably wouldn't even have noticed had I not read, you know, the, the credits page. Again, I did particularly like that Smith and Junior sequence of that very quick fight between Akihiro and Sabretooth. It showed how you can have a fight scene that really makes a visceral impact without dragging it out multiple pages. It, it got in and out, did its job, half a page. So yeah, I'm going to give this uh, a pretty decent score. It does what it sets out to do. I do hope that the story opens up, gets a little more complex over the next nine issues of the story. <laughs> uh, but for now, I'm going to give Wolverine number 41, a.k.a. Sabretooth War Part 1, 7.8 out of 10. So just just a teeny tiny touch lower than you had it. Yep, totally fine. Okay, those are our books this week. Next week, we have three issues coming out, uh, all, I'm thinking, set kind of in the past. We have X-Men number 30, where I, I guess we're going to see what the heck happened to Sink and Talon, who disappeared from the Morlock tunnels. We have Invincible Iron Man number 14, more on Tony and Ironheart building those Mysterium attack ships. And we have Cable number 1 by Fabian Nisaiza. And I really hope we find out what happened to Young Cable since we last saw him right before the gala in X-Men number 24. You remember my little confusion when we got the Children of the Vault and I was expecting Young Cable and instead we got Old Cable? Yeah. So I don't know if we're going to get both of them here, which would be fun, little little uh, buddy comedy with two cables. Or at least I hope we find out, last we knew Young Cable was captured by Orcus. So yeah. if you want to read that, go back to X-Men number 24 and read just the first couple pages, tell that story. And I'm thinking that's going to lead into Cable number one. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. Me too. I'm really excited to see Cable again after seeing the children and kind of enjoying his portrayal there. Very good. And we will talk about all those issues next week. Uh, but but Ruben, what might our fine listeners do in the intervening time? I'd say read more X-Men comics, but you should probably read that. Uh, Defenders Beyond instead. Sounds like fun. See you next week.